Corpses rising from the grave. Creatures emerging from the darkness, gasping for just one last breath. In 1982, a movie advertised as the most fun you'll ever have being scared premiered at the box office. Inspired by the frighteningly fun EC comic books such as Vault of Horror, The Haunt of Fear, and yes, Tales from the Crypt, writer Stephen King and director George Romero would join forces to create Creepshow. Featuring five different creepy tales in one, Creepshow opened at number one at the box office and would be a staple on video stores' horror shelves and in fans' home collections for years to come. Like the Twilight Zone before it, and Tales from the Crypt later, Creepshow wasn't unique to use the anthology concept, but its impact and legacy holds its own against other anthology heavyweights. With the release of the new Creepshow series on Shudder, Netflix's Black Mirror, and the brand new reboot of Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark, anthologies are back in the spotlight. On this episode of the show, we'll dive deeper into Creepshow, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and other awesome anthologies, and have some fun along the way. This is Wayback Attack. Welcome to Wayback Attack, the show that takes a look at current pop culture and reflects on how we got here. We try to navigate the influences that shape everything we love and some things we don't. When the past is present, we've got you covered. I'm Brian Grantham. Sitting across from me is Preston Burke. Preston, how you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm super excited to have our very first episode of Wayback Tech. I know. I am super excited, too. This has been kind of a lot building up to this moment, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's good to finally make it all come together. Right. And I'm excited for the concept of our show. I think it's pretty unique to take a look at something that's, you know, in the limelight currently and look back on the past and see how we got from point A to point B and all the steps in between. Yeah, it's it's crazy when you when you see things, you know, a lot of times knee jerk reactions are, oh, I can't believe they're doing this or re- redoing this type of thing. And it's kind of neat when you actually sit back and take a look at the things that influence people that are creators today or that kind of thing right right and like what influenced them and what got them into what they want to do and how that you know you get to see it from every aspect of it if you start looking at it the right way right and i think it's really interesting like with our show today it's interesting looking at a property like creep show which you know is great in its own right but it's something that you never thought we'd be seeing in 2019 Mm -hmm. of a brand new reboot of something from 1982 right um so I, I thought we might just dive in a little bit uh, and and go look at, you know, the history of maybe Creepshow and then look at what the new series is like and talk about that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So I um I have to admit, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Creepshow. Uh, when I was thinking about these kind of things, right, like these shows and stuff like that, I relate a lot of it to my kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think of what age was I when I watched that thing? And I started going, wow, I was really young when I watched a lot of these, a lot of stuff like this, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things that I saw that I probably shouldn't have. And and it only becomes more obvious when I'm trying to like think, oh, my kids really like horror, right? But mm-hmm. they're eight and six. And so, <laughs> and they want to watch horror stuff, but whenever we watch certain things, they get too scared. And so, um, so anyways, it, I was probably their age or close to it when the last time I saw this. So, oh, wow. So this is, this is taking a real big step mm-hmm. back for you, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I got to admit, I did not see this one uh, when it first aired. I was I was a tad too young. And you, talking about your kids, this was one of those that I remember from being a kid, but I didn't watch as a kid. I remember walking through the video store aisles and seeing that uh, beautiful artwork mm-hmm. of the creep in that EC style mm-hmm. um, artwork and just being mesmerized by the, the box art. And um, I probably didn't see this movie, honestly, until I was a teenager. And I don't know if I was expecting what I got, but let's take a step back and look at some of the uh, aspects of Creepshow and maybe refresh your memory a little bit. Okay. All right. So there were actually five segments uh, of Creepshow, if you recall back. It's an anthology, right? Um, It's small individual stories that make up a larger, larger tale. Um, In this case, we had five segments of Father's Day. The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, Something to Tide You Over, The Crate, They're Creeping Up on You, and then, of course, you had the prologue and the epilogue kind of sandwiched it all together, and you had the the horror host of The Creep throughout. Um, when I said those names of the segments, did anything pop to your mind? What like? I know you've seen it, but it's been a long time. What flashes to your mind when you think Creep Show? Uh, so obviously the box art, right? So like, like that, that, because like you said, you always saw that in the, um, in the aisles at the, at the movie rental store, right? Uh, as far as the movie goes, um, I, so I watched a lot of Tales from the Crypt when I was a kid. And I think a lot of what I saw in Creepshow, I probably married the two together a lot because the creep is very similar to the Crypt Creeper, your Crypt Keeper, right? Uh-huh. And did the creep talk in the in the original? No, no. Okay, just laughed. Did yeah, laugh? yeah. So the um, so I think probably what happened, like there are specific episodes of Tales from the Crypt that I remember, um, but usually those were because of who was in it or that kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so uh, so I I really don't as far as the original one, there aren't anything, there isn't anything specific that I specifically remember about it. Okay, yeah. So for me. The one thing I remembered um, was I remembered uh, Stephen King, mm-hmm. his bit in there, because it was so cool to see the the horror author, you know, actually as, on screen instead of just behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I remember just the visuals of the of the green, uh, mossy stuff growing all over him from the meteorite. So that's what I remembered. Uh, but I did want to bring up the the artist because we both identified with that. Mm-hmm. The artist of the Creep Show. Um, box art or poster art and then actually the comic book itself in the movie uh, is a guy named Jack Kamen and he was one of the artists of the original EC crime uh, and horror books of the 50s mm-hmm. um, and you know even though they don't directly talk about EC um, and those tales from the crypt and stuff it was all in the style of that right. and so it was really important to to Romero for getting that dire- uh, that artist on board Um. So for those of you who don't know or haven't really seen Creep Show, don't know anything about it, this is a movie that is written by. Uh, I mean, it's the pedigree of this movie is legendary. So you got Stephen King as the writer, mm-hmm. you have George Romero as the director, and if you don't know that name, that is synonymous with basically Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, all of those zombie horror movies. Um, but this is one of the this is one of the few that uh, weren't zombie related that did really well for for George Romero. And then in the effects side of things, you've got Tom Savini, 
who people know from a bunch of different things, like uh, from Dust Till Dawn, and then the effects on some early Friday the 13th, and so many other things. Um, he actually has a cameo in this one, but, you know, this is, it's an iconic piece. So, um, but not just in behind the camera, in front of the camera, too. Mm-hmm. So, do you know any of the stars off the top of your head? Uh, so, I know... Um... I know Ed Harris, right? Because yeah. he... Uh, it's so weird seeing him with hair. Yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's it's funny because, uh, you know, he, to me, he's always been a very commanding presence, like in pretty much everything that he does. Um, and so, like, yeah, seeing him, uh, Leslie Nielsen, I, I remember, um, you know, this was... I, pro- I probably saw other movies that he was in before this. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I probably recognized him. Uh, also it's, it's funny to think of how, how little he changed, right? <laughs> uh, before those movies though, or before the, you know, that time period and like when he was in movies, when he was younger, it's weird to see that, but right. it's, it's funny how timeless Leslie Nielsen is. Oh yeah. Uh, what's cool about this is this, this came out, um, it was after airplane, mm-hmm. but it was before they started police squad and naked gun and really his whole reinvention and second, you know, second act of his career. Mm-hmm. So seeing him in the serious role um, as this murderous guy who, you know, purposefully drowns uh, Ted Danson, and um, you know, it's it's really striking to see him in this if you're not used to it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's what he was known for for the for most of his career. You know, uh, other names that we haven't mentioned. Uh, I said Ted Danson, Ed Harris, Ledley Nielsen. Uh, Femme Fatale, Adrian Barbeau, um, everybody's favorite from Night of the Creeps, Tom Atkins. He's actually uncredited in this. Uh, I mentioned Stephen King in his second on-screen performance. Um, he was, of course, uncredited in his iconic appearance as Hoagie Man <laughs> in uh, Night Riders. But uh, and also Stephen King's son Joe Hill was in this one as as the young kid. Um, so, you know, the, again, the pedigree on this is great. It was shot 17 weeks, uh, in 17 weeks over the summer of 1981. And because it's George Romero, um, it's around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I think they shot some stuff, um, in the seaside of New Jersey and some other things here and there, but I'm, I'm shocked that Stephen King could not convince him to go to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think he've got plenty of Maine out of his system uh, later on. So I th- I'm sure he was just happy to get this movie made. Um, the budget was $8 million. And that was really, really huge for the time because this was an independent feature. It was distributed by, a, you know, I forget, maybe Paramount, somebody like that, or Warner. Warner, But um, it was produced independently. Um, and it made back more than its budget. It opened at number one at the box office. Um, and this was the only number one film of Romero's uh, that that made number one. Um, interestingly enough, it was supposed to be released in the middle of the summer, uh, but that would have been bad because they, do you remember of any of the movies that came out in the summer of eighty, uh, the, the summer of eighty two? Um, I don't remember anything. I know I off the top of my head, I do know. Uh, that you had some big players um, that one of my favorite movies had, had I not seen 
research on this, I would I wouldn't be able to tell you. But one of my favorite movies came out that summer. What is it? Poltergeist. Oh and yeah. So, yeah. So you had Poltergeist, but then you had the family friendly ET. I don't remember when that one came out, but it was still you know movies back then played for like six months. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, they didn't change them out if they were popular. They just ran until they stopped making money. Mm-hmm. Um, so ET was actually playing at the time and. Um, uh, Friday the 13th was during the summer and it managed to dethrone E.T. for one week from the number one spot. So with that, Poltergeist, Friday the 13th, and John Carpenter's The Thing, um, we might not have been remembered Creepshow very much had mm-hmm. it come out then. But fortunately, they held on to it till October 29th, just before Halloween. And it came out one week after my favorite Halloween movie, uh, and I'm not talking about the season of Halloween. I'm talking about the franchise of Halloween, Halloween three season of the witch. Um, so it came out number one and did really, really, really well. It's crazy to me. Like looking at that list, like the number of those movies that can't, I, I get like, even back then the summer blockbuster time was still a thing, you know, it's not mm-hmm. the Marvel thing it is now, but uh, it's surprising to me how many horror movies came out during the summer then you know yeah yeah i I think now they tie to they try to you know theme it around halloween a lot of them but i think if you actually look at release dates you'll you'll find that there are you know scary things like get out Mm -hmm. i don't think that came out around halloween time necessarily you know it's just kind of just look at the calendar when there's something when there's a spot and they just wedge it in where they can yeah i know some things like um if if the subject matter of the movie relates to something like the purge election year or whatever, like they tried to have that come out around election time, which mm-hmm. so happens to be close to Halloween, but right. So, uh, you know that kind of sets up the, the the movie and its release and all that stuff. Um, looking back at the five segments, let me just refresh your memory about what happens in each of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that a movie that's thirty seven years old, I'm not spoiling for anybody, um, but. You got Father's Day, which is... Well, first, let me start off. Movie opens with a kid reading a comic book. His dad, Tom Atkins, is pissed off that he's reading, you know, this trashy, trashy book. And so he's really abusive, throws it in the trash, and then it kicks off and goes into the into the segments, which is Father's Day, where wherein Ed Harris, and he's the newest member of the family, um, he joins this rich family, and that... F- the patriarch of the family was really, really abusive and just a foul person. And he demanded his birthday cake and shook his cane. And um, his daughter murdered him. But he came back from the grave to get his sweet revenge and his cake. <laughs> um, then the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. We talked about that one a little bit. Meteorite comes down from the sky. This yokel farmer guy played by Stephen King thinks he's going to make a bunch of money by selling it to the to the university or a museum and he touches it and oh that's not a good idea because things start to spread and eventually he uh he just kills himself out of mercy because he's miserable uh something to tide you over this is the one with ted danson and leslie nielsen Mm -hmm. leslie nielsen you know lures this guy out because his uh his girlfriend's in danger. Come to find out he's already drowned his girlfriend and he buries him in the sand for the tide to take him away and drown him too. Well, he does that, but they don't stay in the ground and they come back for their sweet revenge as well. Um, 
Then we've got the crate, which is the longest segment. And that's the one where, uh, again, a university, uh, you know, professor discovers there's this crate in the museum underneath the stairs. It's been hidden away for, for a long, 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 long time. They try to pry it open and there's something in there, some creature and it kills the, it kills the handyman opening up the, the crate. Um, but it also sweeps, serves as uh, sweet justice for a very, very disgruntled husband over his very, very horrible wife. And that's Hal Holbrook and uh, Adrian Barbeau. Um, and then lastly, the, they're creeping up on you with, um, oh my gosh, I am forgetting his name, but <laughs> it's this guy. He's an actor who played, I mean, how many, how many times have you seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? A bunch. A bunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of his in-laws, one of Clark's in-laws, in-laws, the one that goes, um, the little lights aren't twinkling. Mm-hmm. That guy. Uh, was in Creepshow, and he played like a germaphobe, you know, billionaire guy who was up in his ivory tower and had crystal clear um, living quarters, and it starts getting invaded by cockroaches. And it just goes bananas. Do you remember that scene at all? So um, I think uh, I've heard Mick Garris talk about this, um, where he he had been talking to... um, Savini and they talked about this scene and what they did in order to like set this up and like they the amount of cockroaches that came out of this head uh-huh. uh, and like the way they did it with air like using air to force them all out and everything like that uh-huh. uh, I don't remember the scene off the top of my head but it, when I heard him talk about it, I was like oh man that sounds awesome it's funny because when I yes it's very gruesome they had to like tape their their legs and like sleeves closed so that they didn't get bugs in their clothes oh, right. and stuff like that so um the uh you mentioned how gruesome it was it's funny because when i'm watching this you know when you're watching something from 1982 th- things are going to seem a little dated mm-hmm. and so the when i'm first watching this i'm like okay you know i it's probably just dated but this is rated r i don't know why this is rated r and then as it got further into this to the story and like the crate starts dismembering people and um and then this scene where the guy's corpse just erupts mm-hmm. breaks apart with these cockroaches I'm like oh that's how it got its R rating <laughs> I get it now but uh the I did read that the cockroaches were surprisingly the most expensive part of creep show they cost 50 cents a piece, according to Romero, and they had 250,000 cockroaches. That's so many cockroaches. So many cockroaches. So they spent $125,000 just on cockroaches. And the cockroaches come from some pedigree. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but um, they acquired him from some etymologist working with uh, a museum, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, or a university. And the guy that did that Went on to work on a bunch of other movies with these cockroaches. Probably not the same ones. They probably right. died off. But mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, like even Joe's Apartment. Remember that mm-hmm. 90s yep. movie? Yep. Yeah. So this guy became the professional cockroach wrangler. Um, so 
thinking about any of that stuff, do, do any more things ring a bell for you when I describe the different plot scenes? No. Um, I do have a question. Yeah. So Stephen King, did he, were these based off of things he already wrote or did he write the screenplay for this movie? Do you know? Um, I think he wrote it specifically for the movie. I don't think they were published elsewhere. Okay. So this is not an adapted work. I don't think. Right. So like, so I'm I'm probably gonna get us a lot of hate mail for this, uh-huh. but I do not like Stephen King's horror. Okay, right, or at least I don't like his horror that deals with like monsters, mm-hmm. right? Because it it always usually that's stuff that you see on in movies, right? Because I think most of the stuff that I've read doesn't deal with monsters. That's usually save for the screens, TV, mm-hmm. or but anything with like like the Langoliers or anything that that has you know even like the the new the new creep show that you're, we're going to talk about but like anything that has monsters in it I always find incredibly cheesy and not scary at all mm-hmm. like I just don't think I think that his the stuff that he writes that just is just like stories about people is great yeah but I think that when it's like starts, misery right mm-hmm. uh-huh. and and even stuff like you know like stand by me and that kind of thing right, right. so um like just stuff dealing with life and like and that kind of thing so um the thing that I like about this is that it does not necessarily deal with like a lot of monsters mm-hmm. right and and it is more down to earth horror as right. opposed and like like psychological stuff and that right. kind of thing so what I liked about it um Again, I've already said it. It does feel a little bit dated, just from the uh, the effects and the you know the look and feel of the film. Some of the pacing is a little bit slower, mm-hmm. but I, I I love the fact that it's in comic book f- uh, style. Like mm-hmm. y- they have freeze frames, they have artistic lighting, they have um, you know it just it's it's campy in, at times, and it's purposefully so. Right. So I, I like that they lean into that. When I first started watching, I was like, this is, you know, kind of goofy. It's it's silly. It's mm-hmm. funny. It's, you know, not that scary. But then, you know, you got to set yourself back to about when this first aired. Yes. And you're watching it in a theater. Yeah, it's probably a little bit more scary than than, than watching it now, 30 some odd years later. Um, but I, I, I like King's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I like different. I like different aspects of it. I appreciate it differently. My my favorite Stephen King book is actually not one of his monster books or his his stories. He, if you ever aspire to be any sort of writer, oh, yeah. read mm-hmm. Stephen King's On Writing. And seeing him dissect his process on how he comes up with these stories, and he shows you, like, honestly, he shows you, like, drafts mm-hmm. before and after and how it was edited and things and it, it's really, really eye-opening, and just his his uh, thought on the craft is really, really cool. But that said, you know, even reading his some of his other stuff, uh, you know, it and like Cell, uh, or I think that's the name of it. But uh, those are really, really good. And then, uh, well, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll get into to more Stephen. I could go on Stephen King for for a long, long time. But I don't think I started at the top of the show saying one of the things I appreciate most about anthologies mm-hmm. is it gives people a chance to uh, to experiment. You know, you're not locked into one story for so long. So what's cool is this is accessible to a lot of different people because maybe if you don't like, maybe, you know, maybe you're not a horror fan, mm-hmm. but there's something in there in one of the stories that can win you over right. or... You know, maybe maybe like three 
uh, and it's enough to get you to get you across. Um, there are different stories for different personality types, so it, it's cool and, and it doesn't tie you into the thing. You can you know you can pause it in the middle of the show and pick it up the next night, no problem at all. So um, it's a good entry level um, anthology, I think, for people who are uh, fans of anthologies or interested in anthologies, and also people who want to dip their toe into horror because mm-hmm. it's not that hard. It's not that gruesome. It's a little bit campy. And yes, it's rated R, but I think it's something that you can kind of ease ease kids into maybe um, or people who aren't huge horror fans. Yeah, and, and I, I agree 100% on anthology stuff. So like I personally don't watch a lot of TV. I, I primarily like movies because generally speaking, it's two hours and it's done, right? Yeah. And and so, um, you know, I like I, I know a lot of people that are really into anime and I just I always tell them I don't have the time to like invest into a show like that. Uh, and, and so a lot of times like TV, just TV shows in general, if I miss like I don't like feeling like I have to watch something to like get to that point, you know, like just uh, it's done. And so anthology stuff, I agree 100 percent. And the cool thing about anthology stuff, like especially like this, right, it's um, it is like a movie but it's also a bunch of independent stories that are all broken right. apart. Right. And the things that I like about it necessarily doesn't pertain to this in particular, but I like it when you have anthologies that um, you have different directors and writers working on, because then you get, in that short amount of time span, you get a lot of different, completely different visions of like what something is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that that, that to me is really alluring because then you see it gives you a chance to like, it's kind of like a sampler, right? At a restaurant, when you go get your appetizer, you got, you know, Buffalo uh, wings and then the Texas cheese toast and that kind of thing. And that's what these are to me. It's like, Oh cool. I can see this and see, Oh, I really like that person. Let me see what else they've done. Or I like this director or this writer. Let me see what else they've done. And it really opens up the door. I think, you know, to a lot of, a lot of different stuff that you can get into. Which thought makes a great segue into leading into where the Wayback comes to attack us. And that is the brand new production of creep show as a series on shutter. So, brand new series um, that is not just directed by one director, mm-hmm. where in the movie it was all George Romero. This one is executive produced, and some episodes are directed by Greg Nicotero, but not all. So, not only do we get a variety of directors, but we also get a variety of writers. So, instead of just all the stories being different, we're really getting different visions here mm-hmm. with the new series. So, tell me your thoughts about this because i know you didn't get to freshen up on creep show that was my that was my teaching moment so i did the brushing up on that and mm-hmm. I, I was telling you about that but uh we both watched the new creep show what do you think uh so the first episode is a stephen king story <laughs> and watching that uh i was like i don't think i'm gonna like this mm-hmm. and so like i thought the the beginning part was great and then once it starts getting towards the end of the of that episode and there is a monster and then i was just like Oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. And so, you know, I was getting into the show. I was expecting it to be scarier than it is. Right. So mm-hmm. just like you were with, with the movie uh, or the old, the old one. Um, and then, so I was expecting it to be scarier than it was. And especially with the tone of the first, um, the first step, the Stephen King's, the gray matter, mm-hmm. um, the tone of that is so dark. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Uh, it was just, to me, it was just lost when the monster was revealed. And then, um, so I was like, oh, okay. Well, and then like when I started watching season two or episode two, like there's just, there are very campy episodes uh-huh. uh, to it. And so, but once I, once I really got the first, that first part out of my head, yeah. I really, I watched the first three episodes. I know you only watched the first two, but like by the end of that third episode, I was like, okay, I'm totally in. Like uh-huh. I'm a hundred percent in. So, yeah. So I, I I'm kind of in that same boat with you. What helped me honestly was watching the original creep show again mm-hmm. because some of the aspects of the new series were like, oh my gosh, it's so cheesy. Mm-hmm. But then I watched back and it was basically just an homage to the original. It was so true and dedicated that it kept some of those elements, some of those freeze frames mm-hmm. and um, some of the... Uh, the creature visuals. Right. Um, I won't say which one or what's going on, but there's, there is one episode that um, there's like dog looking creatures. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because some of those creatures are very like lifelike, yes. you know, looking. Yes. And then there's one that is so off, like uh-huh. from the other two, and it's really campy. But then you look back to um, the original and that creature that was in the crate kind of had that same like goofy vibe to it mm-hmm. like authenticity was out the window and it was just 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 campy so th- i think they just leaned into that pretty hard um we're in a time period where so much of horror is hard horror mm-hmm. i mean i don't think we're in it anymore but you know for a long time you had like the torture porn mentality yes. mm-hmm. of just like extreme brutality extreme gore just for the sake of brutality and gore. Mm-hmm. So Saw, Hostile, all that stuff. Cabin and Fever. Cabin Fever is a little bit better. But yeah, I got turned off of horror for a long time there for a while. It was just too much for me. I don't enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, but this lighthearted take where it's it's goofy, a little campy, but also eerie, some jump scares. I like it. I, like, I think you, if you go into the new Creepshow series thinking... You're going to be terrified, like American Horror Story or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'll be disappointed. But if you go into it with an appreciation for the camp, for retro horror, for the original series, I really, really think you're going to love it. Yeah, the um, I I think the so the one that you were talking about with the uh, the one with the creatures. I felt like I felt the same way. I was like, "Whoa, those other two creatures look awesome. Why does this other one look really weird?" But then the way that that episode ended uh-huh. uh, was like the the one liner at the end. I yes. was just like, "Okay, all right." Like, like I like there were scenes in that that um, I feel like there was another episode that did it too. But there were scenes in in that one that that particular one. Uh, it's called Bad Wolf Down. Uh, there were scenes in that where it did like you know everyone does a comic panel like effect right but there are ones in this where like it would show someone's face and then like the background would be completely purple and then have like angular like things to show like if you're reading a comic you would go oh my gosh that person is you know in distress right now because you would just look at it and see based off what the panel said Uh and so that particular one did a lot of that Mm -hmm. right and so i i thought you know i really liked i did not like the very first the gray matter one but the house in the head, I like that one a lot uh-huh. until the very end. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. It, it, what I found with a lot of these is that you, 
there are points at where you are locked into the story and you're on that ride and you're invested. Mm-hmm. And then, then unfortunately, in some of these episodes, there's something that takes you out of it. Right. And some of it, I think it may be because they're trying to hold true to that, that retro vibe. Some of it, I think, is just budgeting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not on a major network. It's on Shudder, which they're a good, you know, a good streaming service. And I'm glad that this is available. But, you know, it's a limited budget. Right. So this is not going to be something that you see on AMC level quality. And so I think sometimes those effects or, or, or those visuals just found me going, oh, and noticing it a mm-hmm. lot more than I should, mm-hmm. which is a little disappointing. But but on the whole, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. One thing I like is we mentioned already is that the... You know the, the stories are obviously different, but it's different. It's different styles of directing mm-hmm. and different styles of storytelling. Um, it's cool to me that uh, you know one of the things I love about anthology series is that people get to experiment a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like let's take for example uh, Mick Garris. He doesn't work on this this series, but you know he, this is someone who had a chance to really find his voice and his craft, you know, uh, hone his craft on amazing stories Mm -hmm. with Steven Spielberg. And then he got an opportunity to do, um, to do different, different aspects of Stephen King work. He was able to work on sleepwalkers and the stand. He wrote hocus pocus, but if I I don't think he would have gotten to be that, that iconic horror director, if he hadn't had a chance to work in the sandbox of the anthology series, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's cool to see not only names we know, like Greg Nicotero, um, who, which is, this is cool. It's kind of a full circle for him because he actually met Stephen, sorry, he met George Romero and befriended him when he was 17. And the very first film set that Greg Nicotero visited was the original Creep Show. And then he worked under Tom Savini on creep show two mm-hmm. um doing some makeup effects now of course if you're if you know greg nicotero he he's um done tons of effects um and is also the executive producer and director of over 31 episodes right now of the walking dead um you know and he is now the executive producer on this new shutter series of creep show directed the first episode maybe the maybe another one as well i forget but um, you get to see other other visionaries as well. One of the directors I was I was super excited to see his name, Rob Schrab. Does that mean anything to you? No. Um, Rob Schrab has, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've never heard it pronounced, but he uh, directed numerous episodes like Community and stuff like that. But before all that, he was a comic book artist and creator. He di- he created Scud, the disposable mm-hmm. assassin. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to see his career trajectory of independent comic book creator to working in show business to, you know, having a chance to direct one of these pieces, these vignettes that we see on an anthology series like like Creepshow. Do you know which one he did? I want to say he did Bad Wolf Down. Oh, and that would make sense because that was the one with like most like a lot of the comic game. book imagery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And um no, I I think it's really good. Uh Speaking about Shutter, just on its own, have you been had a chance to browse through that at all? The yeah, so um, I had it uh, a, a while back, and 
you know, I think that Shudder is really cool because of, you know, obviously it's the Netflix of horror, right? And that's the, the, the pitch for it. Uh, but they have been doing a lot of their own content also, right? That you would never get if, if they weren't doing it, right? And I know, you know, like you could say the same thing about Netflix, but you know the 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 genre the horror genre like i think because of shutter is going to really kind of have like a renaissance like it, it's not that old of a service yet um but just the amount of of content that they have on that platform i think really is going to open up a lot of opportunities for people yeah and um uh i can't remember that when i had it before there was there was like there's a couple different things that i was watching but i liked it a lot right uh, and then the other day I was, I was checking it out and I saw that they now have like a, like a channel set up basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's like three of them that are like movies that are just playing like that you would be like if you were surfing channels. Yes. And so, um, you know, that's a cool way. Uh, I wasn't doing anything. I just, sometimes I'll just turn stuff on generally on YouTube just to have something in the background while I'm doing something. And so I turned that on to just have it going while I was doing something. And there's this movie on uh chopping mall and I was like, I was sitting there watching it and it reminded me so much of this video game that I had played a while back. And I was just like, man, this is awesome. Like, now I'm going to definitely watch that movie because the part that I watched, I really liked a lot. Uh, and then like, uh, you know, I would not have had that if it wasn't for this particular service that Shudder's doing. You know? Right. And so I think that kind of stuff's really cool. Yeah. It's cool to have that sense of discovery again, mm-hmm. because we have so much, I spend more time on Netflix looking for something to mm-hmm. watch than I do actually watching something. So I think it's really cool that Shudder has that option to just dive into something and, Oh, now I'm invested and right. let me learn more. And you know, uh, it's like you used to when you flipped on the channels to HBO and mm-hmm. you're in the middle of a movie and you get sucked in. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. They give a, they have a lot of, of their own custom programming, uh, obviously like this creep show that's developed just for the, just for the shutter channel. But, um, you know, there's a documentary called horror noir. That is a look at, um, the the black experience mm-hmm. in in horror that, that's what i had been watching before oh man it's it's a really it really good. good so mm-hmm. i would i would recommend that but yeah so i i guess all that's to say is if you have an opportunity check out shutter check out the brand new creep show give us your thoughts about that and let us know if we forgot anything to mention about the original uh, i i think this one is actually worthy of coming to the forefront again mm-hmm. um you know The past is now present, but I think it's worthwhile on this one. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right, submitted for the approval of the Wayback Attack Society... I call this one, Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> All right. So uh, I know that you had said that um, you didn't really watch that show a ton, right? No, no. I did watch it a ton, but I only watched it when I was a teenager in okay. the 90s. Uh-huh. I haven't watched it in years. So I actually tried to start watching it with my kids, mm-hmm. and we <laughs> they didn't even get through the opening credit sequence. Mm-hmm. They saw that doll and they were out. They're, I'm gone. Nope. 
at least at least mine made it a couple episodes in and my oldest one dipped out before my youngest one uh-huh. but there are some messed up monsters in that show <laughs> definitely and like like i i we were watching it for a while and i stopped and like started cooking dinner or whatever uh-huh. and my youngest daughter is like oh like this is scary and i looked and i was like holy cow i don't remember that like <laughs> i i would have i would have been a teenager as well when when it was on snick but um all right so Basically, the original show, uh, it, it, the pilot aired on Nickelodeon uh, almost almost to the day of when we were doing this. Shut uh, the door. October 25th, 1991. And it was part of a Halloween special they were doing. Then the next year, the series premiered on SNCC um, on August 15th, 92. Uh, and it aired until April 20th. 1996 oh that's that's a long time you know relatively speaking well the crazy thing about that and so i did not know this next part until i started like looking more into it right but it was actually revived uh it had new directors writers um and the cast had like something like the same kids and stuff you know um but uh it was revived from 99 to 2000 and it also aired on SNCC. I didn't even know that SNCC was still going on then 99 to 2000 yeah Yeah, i was in college so it was not on my radar at all um, so the, the main kid, um, with the glasses from the, from the original show, he returned for that revival. Um, and Ross. the, uh, the cool thing about that was, um, so the, the main show you had these kids that met in the woods around a campfire and their whole thing was, I'm going to, who can come up with the scariest story, right. To freak everybody out. And so, um, they would sit down, a, a story would be told by a different kid each week. And the, um, the story itself was all different people. Right. So like the kids you only really saw at the beginning and the end mm-hmm. and like a couple times, maybe throughout were like, some, it would cut to them being like, Oh, and this happened or something. Right. Yeah. So, um, but the stories themselves were all, uh, different actors and it's cool because the old show had like a bunch of famous people in it. Right. Uh, like when, when they were kids. Um, and so, uh, it's the, the show itself, I would say, um, most of the episodes are pretty good. There are some really, really good episodes. And then you have some episodes that just aren't that great. And I have found that, um, I bought, uh, an episode. I was looking for a specific one years ago and I bought it on the Xbox 360 through like the Microsoft video store. Uh, but on Vudu, they have these 10 different volumes that um, it's not every episode from every season. It's not like it's 10 seasons or whatever. It's basically the best episodes in the series. And so if you are looking at wanting to watch this, um, I know you can probably catch some of it on YouTube or whatever, but if you buy those on, on Vudu, uh, it's it's pretty much the best of the best. So that's what I did. I bought all of them because they were on sale at one point. In fact, they're probably on sale right now for like a Halloween sale or something like mm-hmm. that. So I would say check it out. Um, so I, I loved this show as a kid. <clears throat> I thought it was just the right amount of creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was a little bit older then, so it wasn't something that like. Like if, when I was a kid, and the unsolved mysteries theme played <laughs> on the TV, mm-hmm. like I would bolt from the room. If, if I was, if I was alone Mm -hmm. and this one, I, you know, if I was alone in my room and the lights were out, it'd be just the right amount of eerie and creepy feelings. Um, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't scary enough that I would turn it off. Right. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, it had a lot of different rotating cast, some that 
are huge stars today, like mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, Anakin Skywalker himself. Hayden mm-hmm. Christensen was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Nev Campbell, I think, got her start on this. So, yeah, it's it's cool to see um, who all has graduated from, a, you know, a Saturday night Nickelodeon show. Yeah. And the... Um... You know, the stories, because because it's an anthology show, the stories are all very different, right? Like, you had things between being trapped in a pinball machine to water zombies to movie vampires. Like, there was just, it was such a wide range of types of stories that they told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it was, it was, it's really cool um, because it, the whole episode is one story, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you have a good... It is typically a half hour show, uh, or it was it was an hour though. I think it was like forty four minutes if you watch it now. That's that's where it always throws me off is no commercials on these things. So I, I'm pretty sure they're forty four minutes now, and so you get a good time to watch the whole thing, uh, and and they get more time in the story to be able to to build on that right. It doesn't have to move as fast, uh, say, like Creep Show, where those those episodes have two stories in each episode, uh-huh. and so they move very quickly because of it. Um, but uh, so because there are so many episodes and they're all so very different, I I basically chose a couple of my favorite ones, mm-hmm. and uh, I figured I would talk about those, yeah, just to give you an idea of what they were like, right? Let's do it. So I love. Any story where someone gets sucked into a game, okay? <laughs> so Tron, there was a, uh, a there was a story in Heavy Metal Magazine that was this, right? And uh, in Are You Afraid of the Dark, they did one called the Tale of of uh, the Tale of the Pinball Wizard. And I don't know why they chose pinball because the way the whole episode is set up, it, it should have been a video game. It must have been somebody that that was right, like in the writers' room or something like that, was really into pinball because it even the episode starts off with one of the kids at the campfire playing on his Game Boy uh. and then being like, "Hey, man, you don't want to mess with that. Let me tell you why." And they tell this story, and so it really should have been like an arcade game that he got sucked into or something. Um, but basically, there is this old man that has some kind of weird repair shop in the mall. And this kid's in there. He's like, hey, you got this new pinball machine? Because it was in the back room. He's like, oh, you can't play it. You can't play it. And so he goes to this play. This better not be like the bike shop on different uh, different strokes. No. Okay. <laughs> he, he he just gets left alone, basically. Oh, okay, good. So he's he's like, you know, he basically wants a, a job. And the the owner of the shop is like, no, you can't. I, I just had some kid work here, and he was horrible. And he was like, look, look, look. You go to lunch and just let me run the shop while you're at lunch, and I promise, like you'll see, I'm a good a good worker. He's like, okay, but don't play that pinball machine. And so he leaves. Of course, the kid starts playing it immediately. This girl comes in looking for something that had been repaired, and uh, he he tells her, yeah, I, I know, I, I work here, you know, like me, me and Mister whoever, we we uh, we. We, we got this business going. Uh, I just don't remember where he put it. And eventually he's like, yeah, I don't really work here. I'm just helping out for the day. I'll find it for you and get it to you. And she's like, okay, I'll come back. So he goes back to playing the pinball machine. And then next thing he knows, the mall's closed. And he's like, he's trapped in the mall, right? And he's having, he's basically going through, like while he's playing the pinball machine, he's like, oh, I got to battle the witch. Oh, look, there's the knight and stuff like that. And so when he starts coming into this, the girl that he talked to in the mall earlier is there also. And she's trying to get this music box that she had had. And it's not really a scary story. Uh, it's more of just like, 
I think it's more along the lines of like a Twilight Zone style of episode uh-huh. where it's like about has a larger story they're trying to tell about people getting sucked into games and that kind of thing and how it can take over and that. But um, I I really like that episode probably only because I really like game or stories like that. Um, but I will say it's also in the voodoo thing, so it has to be pretty good because <laughs> it's in their good thing. Um, and then there is another really good episode that I like called The Tale of the Midnight Madness. And uh, so there is a movie theater that is failing and they, um, well, there's like a kid there that works there that he loves cinema. And um, there's this bigger movie theater that has opened up across town that is not in a historic theater. It's just in some megaplex and, you know, they, they're just playing all the big, big time movies and they don't, you know, they, this, it's not about the art, it's about business for them. Right. And so he's trying to drum up business to get people to start coming to this movie theater. And, uh, this guy shows up, um, Dr. Fink, and he is the first re- reoccurring character in, in the show, uh, other than the kids at the beginning of the episodes. And so, um, but he shows up and he's like, Oh, you let me play my movie. I have a black and white silent film. Let me play my movie. I guarantee you people are going to want to come in here and you're going to get crowds and crowds. It's going to be crazy. And the only thing I ask in return is that you take, give me one night a week to play my movies. And the movie manager is, uh, you know, liking a lot of kids stuff. He's an adult and he's an idiot. And, uh, so he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll let you do it. And then the, the guy's like, okay, here it is. And gives him the film, the film and leaves. So like a week, week has gone by and the kid's like, why aren't you playing the movie? He's like, I'm not going to play that crap. No one cares about silent, uh, silent movies, black and white silent movies. So eventually they play it and it does, it draws a huge crowd. And so they start playing it every, every day and they get all these like huge crowds. And so, um, uh, Dr. Fink shows back up and he's like, the guy's like, Oh my God, thank you so much for letting me, uh, play this movie. You know, duh, you know, uh, I'll buy it from you so that I can keep showing it. And he's like, no, the, you, I told you you could have it. The agreements that I get a night. He's like, look, I'm not going to give you a night. The other nights of the week, like we play this during midnight, uh, the midnight show and all the other nights are all going to be the big hits like blockbuster movies. And he's like, no, you, you agreed that this was going to be a thing. And so, uh, the kid was watching the movie one night and he falls asleep and it's, it's basically Nosferatu. And, uh, the, the hook is that Nosferatu wins in his movie. And that's why everybody likes it so much. And so the kid falls asleep and Nosferatu comes through the screen and starts, um, starts causing havoc. He bites the neck of the manager when he's asleep at his desk and stuff like that. And the kid has to like get him back into the movie and save the day. Right. Um, I'm picturing flashes of last action hero. Yeah, it, it is very similar. Like even it doesn't do like the gold effect of when they're going through the screen, uh-huh. but it, it like light is shooting out of it as they're coming through and that kind of thing. That's so, cool. um, but it is, it, it, it's a really cool episode. And, um, you know, I think that it speaks a lot to people that like the cinema, you know, like that experience, that historical, historical experience. And so, um, you know, maybe not every movie has to be an IMAX and that kind of thing. Like sometimes the place that you're watching something has a lot to do with whether mm-hmm. your enjoyment of it. So what's the fear level on that one? Do you think, um, was it more twilight zone ish? Just kind of probably, I yeah. probably gravi- gravitate more towards those uh-huh. just because, um, 
not that I'm an intellectual, but I like I like it sometimes where you like sit back and go, oh, that's cool. Like, what were they trying to say and that kind of thing, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know some of those some of those episodes are really scary, and it's funny. Like, I know it's a kid show, so the act, the main characters are all going to be kids, but there's so many episodes of that show that are all just ghost kids. It's like <laughs> there's just like tons of dead kids. Oh, this kid drowned in a lake, but he's yeah, I, I started watching one, uh, and it was Tatiana Ali, you know, from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm-hmm. And she started the episode. She draws uh, some sort of gate on her wall, summons a demon or whatever. It opens up, and then she catches her room on fire, and she dies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the in the first two minutes of the movie, I mean, the show. So, yeah, they... Uh, I liked that they weren't they weren't afraid to you know be scary, um, but also have some of those think pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- you know, I think that's cool because you know the viewing experience for kids has changed so much uh, t- from when we were younger to nowadays. Right, like my kids pretty much only watch YouTube, and the the type of stuff they're watching is usually not written, mm-hmm. or if it is, it's like. It's uh, you maybe other kids writing it or whatever, you know, so there's not kind of like the show. Well, yeah. (laughs) So the uh, it's it's just it is very different from what they are used to watching. Right. right? And so it's not it's not Harley Quinn, scary Harley Quinn running around doing crazy things with her family and that kind of thing. So Um, but so that's the old show. Right. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of there's an Are You Afraid of the Dark Convention um, really? Yeah. It, I want to go. It's I want to say it's in New York. So so that guy, the main character with the glasses, mm-hmm. he did a documentary, but it's not a real documentary. It's like he's a weatherman. It's now. a real documentary to him, man. <laughs> I guess so. I think he just had a friend go with him to okay. to the convention. And and he was just blown away that there were people that wanted him to like sign things and and that kind of thing. And it was really cool to see him like go like from when someone asked him to be to go to the convention he was like there's a convention for this people still care about this thing that's so crazy and so it's um if you just search like are you afraid of the dark uh convention um and you can probably uh you can probably look up like ross hole or something like that on it and, and find it but uh so anyways the new uh show that's coming out uh they just premiered it really at beyond fest and there they showed the first two episodes mm-hmm. right uh, right now you can see the first episode on YouTube on Nick rewind. And then, um, that came out on the 11th of October on the 18th and on the 25th, which is kind of crazy to me. I'm sure they did not plan this at all, but October 25th was when it originally debuted on Nickelodeon. It's ending on that same day. Oh, wow. This new series. So, um, so basically you can watch the first uh, episode on Nick rewind on YouTube and this is a mini series that's only intended to be three episodes. Oh, three episodes? Yeah. Oh man, I thought it was going to be longer, at least six or something like that. I'm hoping that this is just to test the waters, you know. Uh-huh. And then they can, if people really get into it, uh, I think that's why they're doing the first episode on YouTube and the other two on Nick, um, because they're trying to get that migration right. Uh-huh. And so, um, so I, I think I'm hoping that it does really well because. The this the first episode was very good. Oh man! And it's so funny because uh, so I watched the making of thing also for it, and the director was talking about. It. He said there were like a lot of times ten year olds their target right, or maybe not target, but like that's their baseline. 
And they kept, he said when they were shooting it, he, they kept having to be like, is this too scary for a 10 year old? I don't like, I can't tell. Uh, and someone would be like, no, it's fine. Just keep going. Right. And so the first two and a half minutes of this show, I don't know if you, if you noticed it, but it is, um, cause you watched it, right? Uh-huh. So it, so the very first two and a half minutes, very heavy, nightmare on elm street influence uh-huh. like there's parts where like they're like the girl runs through a boiler room and he's walking down steps and tapping his cane like on the thing yes. and it's like that would that's when freddie would have been dragging his nails across the, uh-huh. the handrail and then like at the end she wakes up and like out the window there's the guy and he's holding hands with uh one of the sisters from the shining and chucky Oh, like, I didn't notice it, that. It's, I mean, it's it's not them, right? But it's like blue dress, uh-huh. like, and then overalls and striped shirt and red hair. Like, it, it, I was just like, "What? I can't believe! Like, why are they referencing all this stuff?" Uh, it, the show is not like that. Uh-huh. The, or the first episode is not like that. After that, um, I mean, it's good, but it's. I, I was just like, when I saw that, I was like, "Okay, let me see if the kids want to watch it." And so I showed my oldest daughter, who is the one that talks most about horror, and she was like, "No, I don't want to see that." And she's she's eight. She was like, it's going to be too scary. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I said, you know, so I asked my second one. She's six. And she was like, yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so because she said that she would watch it, then my older one. And it's funny because she's the one that's always like that, like uh, like with haunted houses and stuff like that. My youngest one will be like, yeah, I'll, I'll go do that. Let me go walk through it. And my oldest one's like, oh, I can't do it, but I love horror and stuff. So, <laughs> um, but uh, so this, um. This this first episode really is like a new kid has come to town, and it's their introduction to uh, to the midnight the midnight society. society. Which can we just say that I that is one of the best names. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Uh, I wish I were a member of the Midnight Society. I wish we had started the Midnight Society podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'd be all about it. Um, that's that's great. Yeah, what's cool about this one is it's. One more cinematic, yes, in its presentation. Uh, gr- granted, the original show, you could tell when it was filmed, like it was, it was a step above, like you know, a stationary sitcom, you know, mm-hmm. a, a stationary sitcom comedy camera setup or something like that. It was produced. Um, it wasn't movie level, but it was still uh, above just like a regular TV mm-hmm. comedy show from Nickelodeon. It was good, but this one is like. It could have been released, uh, you know, in theaters. In theaters, yeah. and this one is talking. Uh, it kind of gives you a little uh, behind the scenes of the Midnight Society and um, how they get new members and things like that. And then it evolves into this uh, this story that is more than just a story. Yeah. So it's a really cool take. And the cool thing about this too is, so like ultimately with this many series is about is the story that gets told comes to life and affects the, the members of the midnight society and a real and, and their real life. Right. Not just in the story, which is cool because that, that part of the original series from 99 to 2000, that's what happened in that too. Like it's not retelling that same story, but the horror stories started come like started affecting their real lives. And, and that's what that, when that story, when that original series was, brought back that's what they were telling that's the story that they were telling mm-hmm. and it's kind of what they're telling here with this which is kind of cool because you know they're taking 
you know, the intro to this, there are parts from the original intro, the swings swinging and uh, the, I think the doll faces in the new intro also, there are a couple parts like they're taking stuff directly from that. Uh, but then they also are taking stuff from this revival from 99 to 2000 that I didn't know about. And I'm willing to bet most people don't. And they're tying that into this miniseries also, which yeah. I think is super cool. Uh, uh, great Easter eggs for, yes. for folks who are original fans and accessible for people who are new ones. Uh, I think it's really cool that they're able to bring, um, you know, some recognizable face to the show to kick it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not totally unknown. Um, Jeremy Ray Taylor is, you may not know his, his name, but you would recognize his face because this kid um, already has a pretty good pedigree being Ben in uh, the new It mm-hmm. um, series of movies. And then also he was in Goosebumps 2. So I don't know how he got pegged as the go-to kid for horror movies, but he is riding that wave right now, and uh, and really really works in this in this series. That's because he he's so uh, he looks he he doesn't look the type, right? Yeah, and so he, he fits that type that type. Role. Yeah, he was actually here at a convention in Atlanta um, shortly after it the first one uh, debuted at Days of the Dead. I got to Google and say, oh, there's that guy. Um, so I'm, I'm sure he has a long road of conventions ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if he doesn't do anything else, yeah. he's he's locked into three really, really good properties. Yeah, and, and it's, it's stuff that like hits multiple generations, right? Totally. So, cool. Uh, so, yeah. So I would say definitely check out the new series. Definitely. Um, especially that first episode since it, it, like if you have TV, I would say definitely check out the other two. And they might m- migrate those to YouTube as well. Uh, but I'm not 100 percent on that. But that first episode is awesome. Yeah, I would say this is a great one to um, introduce your kids to horror uh, or spooky, and then maybe if that tickles their fancy, you can graduate them into creep show. Mm-hmm. All right, that sound can mean only one thing. It's time for the attack zone. All right, Preston, <laughs> tis the season to be scared. So uh, what I did today is I have 10 movie titles here, and I want you to put them in order of highest grossing horror movies of all time, and these amounts are in, uh, are adjusted for inflation. Okay. It is not fair to have movies of today going up against that cost $13 a ticket going up against movies from yesteryear. All right. All right. So just for everybody listening, these are the movies that we have here. We got Gremlins, The Exorcist, The Amityville Horror, Scary Movie, which I know it's not really a horror movie, but Jaws, Ghostbusters, Jaws 2, Alien, It, which is the uh, 2017 It, and The Sixth Sense. All right. So while while you're trying to figure that out, uh, I will say everything on this list I think I think is a good horror movie. Um, Ghostbusters and Scary Movie, I know oh, are those really horror movies, but Ghostbusters gave me nightmares when I was a kid. So yes, it's a horror movie. And then um, Scary Movie just <laughs> it's got so many good parts in it, and it uh, you know it's it is all just riffing on horror movies. So this uh, this list was made by Travis Bean over at Forbes.com. He put this list uh, in the answers. They had a whole article about um, top grossing, and then they also did a different list for adjusting, which uh, I think makes more sense to do, especially for this 
Are there any movies on here that you specifically All right, so feel I, good about? I'm feeling pretty good about the top ones. It's the it's the ones that are lower performing. Okay. And I feel like movies like Scary Movie uh-huh. um, are on here purposely to to trip me up. Okay. Right? Like, I, I remember them probably not being as hugely popular as they were. Okay. So, here's how I'm going to go. You want me to go in reverse order? Yeah, start at 10. Okay, number 10. I'm going to go to the Amityville Horror. And I know that was a really, 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 really popular movie. But I'm just thinking, I hate to say it, but I bet... I bet Scary Movie beat it out, which is what my number nine pick is. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, then in number eight, Jaws 2, even though uh, it's a lesser movie uh-huh. than Jaws uh, 1, I also think it was not as high grossing as Jaws was. And, you know, these days, it seems like sequels are always, like when you're talking Marvel Cinematic Universe, right. the the later iterations are actually higher grossing than the original, but uh-huh. I, Jaws was so uh, pivotal. Yeah. I, I think it's actually much higher grossing so, than the original. So Jaws 2, that was the revenge, right? Yes. That was the subtitle. So I didn't even, like when I was a kid, I, I loved the Jaws movies. Wait, was it? Or was... What oh, was, was for the revenge? For might have been the revenge. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it was, was just Jaws 2. So I don't even remember Jaws 2. Yeah, I don't Three remember. was like, I like one and three were my two big ones because it was a SeaWorld dog. <laughs> uh, all right, so 10 on Amityville Horror, 9 Scary Movie, number 8 Jaws 2, number 7 It 2017. And this is purely just because we're talking about just adjusted for inflation. Okay. I know that that made some bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not talking about quality of movie, we're talking about box office, right? Right. So number 6, Alien 1979. Mm-hmm. Number 5, Gremlins 1984. Uh, that one was just it crossed generations, mm-hmm. but I'm betting I'm wrong on that. I'm betting that one's like ten. I bet it is like the worst, but I think it was it was it was a really good movie uh, that a lot of people saw. Mm-hmm. So number four, The Sixth Sense, 1999. That mm-hmm. movie was one where it had legs because of the twist at the end, and people were it had word of mouth, mm-hmm. and uh, it and really I, put in my channel on the map. Yeah, and 1999 was a huge year in movies, and that was also the year that I managed a movie theater. So uh, near and dear to my heart, I'm going to go number four on that. Number three, The Exorcist. We're getting to the top players here. I think everybody and their mother was talking about The Exorcist when that came out. Mm -hmm. People throwing up in the aisles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Number two, Jaws. It was the movie that made the summer blockbuster. Mm -hmm. It has to be in the top three somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and number one, I'm going to go Ghostbusters, okay. just because it 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 blew out it, it blew everything out of the water. Yeah, and it's another one of those cross genre movies. Yeah, right? yeah so. it can be uh, adults, kids, mm-hmm. um, hugely entertaining, spooky, funny. It's got it all. <laughs> all right, so did I get any of them right? It's funny. So the one that you were for sure you got wrong uh-huh. was Gremlins, right? Uh-huh. That was the first one you got right. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, so the way that it actually rolled out, and I'll tell you the uh, the dollar amounts also. So number 10 was Scary Movie. Okay, well, I was close on yeah. that one. And I liked the first Scary Movie, but to me it didn't get good until uh, the guys, I don't remember their names, but the ones that did Airplane and stuff, uh-huh. they started doing, um, like I think in part three, uh, okay. um, where they started doing Signs. And that one was amazing, but the first Scary Movie was pretty good. All right, number nine, Alien. Okay. Shocking to me it's that low. Oh, I forgot to tell you the dollar amount. So Scary Movie was, was adjusted income, 
uh, $262.5 million. Right? Okay. Alien, number nine, $286.4 million. Number eight, Amityville Horror, $310.3 million. And it's funny because I think... I personally think that is one of the weaker movies on this list. And I'm surprised. Like, I guess the time it came out in 79, uh-huh. it, it had to be a big deal. But I don't know. I just don't like that movie. So I, I didn't nail the number exactly, but mm-hmm. I'm feeling pretty good yeah, you have the about, movie. like, relationally where these are. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Number seven. Jaws 2, $312.8 million. Number six is it from 2017 with 328.9 million. See, I and both of those two I was like one number off. Uh-huh. So, I'm I would say I'm doing pretty good. The crazy thing about it if you don't adjust for inflation, it's the number 1. Oh. And the crazy year thing about number 2 which is still in theaters, it is like number 4 if you're not adjusting for inflation. Oh wow. And it's it's like not even done yet. So, um all right. So, we're top 5 now, all right? So 5 is Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Um, Yay! Uh, four hundred and nine point eight million dollars. Number four is Six Sense, so you had that one too. Oh, sweet! Uh, five hundred and eighteen point eight million dollars. All right, and the number three, you got Ghostbusters. Oh man, six hundred forty-one point three million. But so, like, I feel like I feel like if that movie came out today, that would be uh, a you know billion dollar movie yeah yes and especially with like the effects and stuff right well, it, did, it did come out today right well no <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so but the thing the thing with with ghostbusters is i think the other two movies on this list changed the way that movies were made right, right. and ghostbusters didn't do that i mean it was a great movie and it was this cross-genre movie but the exorcist comes in at number two at ninety at nine hundred ninety six point five million dollars, so it's almost it's close to double the the amount of money yeah. that it made, right? And then number one is Jaws, one point one five four billion dollars adjusted wow. for for inflation. Yeah, so, that movie was gangbuster. Yeah, and like like you said, it created the summer blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that that is I I thought when I was thinking of a game for this, I was looking at. Oh, did some different things, and I was like, "Oh no, I think it'd be really cool to like to look at at what uh, since it's the season to be spooky, what uh-huh. horror movies did really well with it." So. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. I technically got what two right, two I think you got two dead on. Boom! But <laughs> I'm feeling strong about my placement on the rest of them. So uh, thanks for that game, man. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, so we talked about two brand new shows that are coming out, um, but let's take a look back at some other anthologies maybe that you might have missed, haven't heard about, or you want to celebrate along with us. So, you know, we've got a lot to choose from. If you're talking anthologies, you've got Tales from the Dark Side, Amazing Stories, Night Gallery, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. You've got The Simpsons with Treehouse of Horror if you want to go animated. You could also do Heavy Metal uh, and the newer... You've got shows like Goosebumps. Um, But I wanted to highlight some that were a little less known. And you may not even remember. Um, And and we've got a few picks for you as well. So 
My pick number one, Saturday Supercade. I've never heard of this. Are you serious? Yeah, seriously. Okay, so this was Saturday morning cartoons, but it was before our time. 1982, um, you would have been, what, two years old? So you probably weren't watching this. I would have been one. I would have been one. But uh, this is something that, you know, being an arcade fan, I I know all about. Because this is the heyday of the arcades. And so we had cartoons featuring Frogger, Donkey Kong, Qbert, Donkey Kong Jr., Pitfall, Space Ace, Kangaroo. It was put up by Ruby Spears Production. They were, you know, the responsible parties behind Thunder the Barbarian, Mr. T, the Centurions, and even the animated sequence in the horror movie Child's Play. Um, so, you know, you may be thinking classic arcade show, but don't confuse this with Pole Position or Pac-Man or even the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. It was not that. It was the anthology uh, wherein each episode, it would be a different combination of cartoons, um, usually... Uh, three or four that they would show but uh, I believe it was Donkey Kong and Qbert were kind of the the primary go-tos they had 19 mm-hmm. episodes of those each compared to some of the others that had less like Pitfall with only seven what's cool about this is that although people m- mostly remember the Super Mario Brothers Super Show mm-hmm. this actually was the first depiction of an animated voiced Super Mario um, because of the Donkey Kong cartoons. Uh, and interestingly enough, this version was voiced without an Italian accent um, by none other than Optimus Prime himself, Peter Cullen. Was he like, Donkey Kong, put her down? Uh, I, hopefully, uh, we can get a little clip of the voice right here. <laughs> Acme Laundry Service, uh, you got anything for us? Uh, 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 uh. Oh, yes, you do. One per coat in a bag. Now, there are other famous examples of voice actors in this series. You've got Frank Welker, the foil to, uh, to Optimus Prime's Peter Cullen. You got Frank Welker, who did Megatron. He's doing a variety of voices. I think he did the most voices in the series. Mm-hmm. And then you got classic uh, actor, comedian, Soupy Sales doing the voice of Donkey Kong. And even Nancy Cartwright from The Simpsons, um, who is Bart Simpson, doing voices in here as well. So it is uh, a goofy, fun, lighthearted uh, take on a lot of the favorite classic arcade characters of the day. And I think it's worth a look. You can probably find some episodes on YouTube um, or uh, on Amazon for the collection, I believe. But... That was one that a lot of people grew up with, and it's one that a lot of people don't know existed, like yourself. Yeah. You know, the crazy thing to me is this would never happen nowadays Uh because the licensing, right? So you got Frogger, like... Sega. Yeah. Donkey Kong is Nintendo, Nintendo, right? Yeah. Qbert is... uh, Gottlieb. Yeah. And then... um, Pitfall. Pitfall's Activision. Uh Uh-huh. Space Ace. Cinematronics. Yeah. And then Kangaroo. Atari as well. Yeah. So, like... There's no way you could ever get the licensing to all those. Right. Like, well, I don't know. I guess Wreck-It Ralph did it, right? So, uh, but I, that's just crazy to me, especially. But that's for like Disney a, money. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's not a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Well, 
So the thing that I'm going to talk about <laughs> is Tales from the Crypt. Wow, the most <laughs> obvious anthology I, pick you could choose I besides think, Twilight Zone. I was going to say, if I said Twilight Zone, I think you'd be uh-huh. right. But, uh, so the thing with Tales from the Crypt for me that I love about it, and I'm not going to go into it as deep of a dive because I think most people probably know what, what that sh- show was. Uh, so I was really into this like in third grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Are you serious? Yeah, second I, grade, you're watching Tales from the I, Crypt? So my dad, I could. So my dad, I was home by myself all day during the summer, uh-huh. and we had HBO, and so like uh, I watched everything, and and my stepmom recorded everything onto tape. She was all about recording everything on HBO onto tape. So we had like the whole series on tape, and uh, you know, I during those same years of my life, I was really into the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, um, you know, Meatloaf is in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then Meatloaf is also in an episode from Tales from the Crypt where he gets eaten in it as well, just like he did in Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> and so, like, I, I really like that show. You know, like, being a kid, there you have the gore, right? You have funny parts in it. And there's also some scantily clad people in it. And there's mm-hmm. some dirty things going on in that show as well. Uh, but um, I love that show a lot. I thought, you know, when, when they wound up doing the movie... Um, they did two movies Demon for it. Knight. Yeah, Demon Knight was the first one. And I love Demon Knight. I thought that movie was so good. I saw it in theaters. Um, I just really... I, when I was a kid, I had a Crypt Keeper mask like, on like one of the bedposts of my bed that I used to... When my little sister... She were seven years apart in age, so I, if I was 14, she would have been like... Oh, I wouldn't have been... Oh, well, I was probably... 13 or something so she would be like six or seven i would lock her in my room i'd put a crutch under the doorknob <laughs> to my room and i'd turn on alice cooper put on my crib keeper mask and turn on a strobe light and chase her around oh my so, gosh and you're currently estranged from your sister right is that- <laughs> <laughs> one, one time she was like yeah i'm so happy you think that's so funny because i went to therapy for years for it and oh I was my like, gosh ah, it's all water in the bridge <laughs> so uh but you know i love that series so much and the that so like with um with the uh the new creep show that we were talking about, you know, I, that's one of the only things I don't like about the creep, right? Is the creep talks in word bubbles in that show, like in the comics and stuff like that at the beginning and at the end of each show. But all he does, all the physical creep does is laugh. I wish that there was something like the crypt keeper and like, they have something like that, but I would like, I just like the cheesy jokes and the cheesy humor that the crypt keeper brought to that show. As much as I love creep show, I have to admit that tales from the crypt did it better. Mm hmm. Um, just the, the, the marriage of horror and comedy, the production value, the star power, mm-hmm. um, they really, really nailed it. Um, looking back at Creepshow, I know it was created years prior to, to Tales from the Crypt, but it, it seems aged. When you look at Tales from the Crypt now, uh, even the TV show, it, it still seems fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is this classic pick. Um, for me, I don't remember too many specific episodes. Obviously, I remember Demon Knight and the Tales from the Crypts movies. But um, the specific episodes, the one that stands out in my mind that I remember from seeing it as a kid on HBO, uh, starred Joe Pesci mm-hmm. and involved twins. Mm-hmm. And I remember him getting sawed in half mm-hmm. so that each twin could have oh yeah they're they were conjoined at the yes hip. yes mm-hmm. oh my gosh that that messed me up and i loved it at the same time it was great the, my favorite episode from back then and it still messes me up today right so like when i die i'm probably gonna be cremated but this episode of tales from the crypt makes me not want to do that <laughs> and it was there was um i can't remember if someone was trying to 
to get back at somebody or if, or if they were doing it as a joke, but there is these coroners and one of them drugged the other one and made him think that he died, mm. but he was, he was just paralyzed. So he was like alive, but he thought he was dead. And so he had set up all this stuff like, like hanging the body on the meat hook and everything like that. Oh my uh, but you know, he wasn't really on a meat hook. He was like just putting him on a harness and stuff. But the guy thought that he was dead and being hung on a meat hook. And like the, he t- had timed it to where he was like, okay, we need to take the brain out and like started like sawing on the head. And he's like, you don't know it's a joke until this point. And it's like, the guy's like, his feeling is starting to come back. He's like, no, I can feel this. I can feel this. There's something wrong here. I'm, I'm not. And, and then like, they're like, ah, just got you, got you, whatever. And then, and then like the guy dies. Well, he has a heart attack or something, oh, man. but then it is like that. It, he can feel things and stuff like oh, that. And he's no. still like aware. And so like, just because that, that one episode, I'm like, you I messed know. up. Yeah. Like it's still today. <laughs> like it does that to me. So, wow. But yeah, that's why I picked tales from the crypt. That's awesome. Liquid television. Well, I'm going with another pick from around that same time period for my next uh, deep cut. Um, you know, it, it it's a deep cut for people now, but not for our generation because we grew up in the MTV generation, mm-hmm. and Liquid Television was a great anthology series. Um, it's not one you think of because it's not a horror one, and that's kind of what we're we've been talking about a lot. But uh, like my previous pick, it's mostly an animated um, compilation. And this one was just weird. And, and groundbreaking animation. Yes. It was so weird and quirky and unusual and, like Brian said, groundbreaking. Um, it ran from November 30th, 1991 for three seasons, 22 episodes until January 1st, 1995. Now, it did have a four-season reboot with just two episodes in 2014, but we don't talk about that. We're talking about the, the classics. And, you know, it had... Uh, animated shorts in all kinds of different formats. It had traditional ink and paint. It had claymation, had computer graphics. Um, and it also brought to us two properties that we really, really know and love. Um, Aeon Flux and Beavis and Butthead with Frog Baseball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, um, you know, The Simpsons premiered on the Tracy Ullman show. Mm-hmm. And that kind of launched them to have their own. Here, Beavis and Butthead premiered on Liquid Television, and the popularity on that allowed them to greenlight their own series, which um, was created by Mike Judge. Mm-hmm. And Liquid Television also hosted another famous Mike Judge property with the original um, Office Space. Did you know that the uh, that Office Space was an animated short film? So I now that you say that, I feel like I remember that. I watched a lot of Liquid Television when I was a kid. Um, I, I thought it was very, very cool. And, you know, that was like teenage years, right? So that was like perfect time to watch that. Um, I don't remember the specifics of it unless Milton. Oh, it was it. Was it squiggly drawn? Like um, it was it was. Yeah, it was really crudely drawn. Okay. And it was Milton. You yeah. got it. So yeah. that's where, uh, you know, the the stapler guy. That's the basis of the whole movie office space that Judge was able to turn into a whole movie. Um, and it started here on on liquid television. So. Uh, they have compilations available. You can find things on YouTube. Um, if you're not familiar at all, go check it out. It's some weird, weird, wonderful stuff. And it was from the glory days of 
MTV that was innovative and fresh and hip and cool. And those days we know are long gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> savor what you can from that. So I'm going to follow up with another animated series, right? Uh, and it is something this whole um, – like I was saying earlier, I really get into things where people get sucked into a game, right? <laughs> and so that's basically what the Matrix is. Uh-huh. Like life is a game, and uh, so the Animatrix is the is is a it's a a, bun- a series of shorts basically, uh, and it is very similar to Liquid Television in that every style is very different, mm-hmm. right? And every director was was different. I want to say they had like directors from all over the world that that worked on this. Um, and uh, one of, I, th- I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's like four four distinct stories and they're mainly all side stories that just take place in that universe right and so um and i think that is so cool because the matrix is such a neat universe and at that time i when when the animatrix came out i was very invested still in that series um because um i feel like it was dvd or something something had happened where i had recently really gotten back into matrix stuff and um, and that was around the same time that the anima- Animatrix came out. And so I was jonesing for more content from that universe. And that fills out, like, it, there's a story about just, like, some kids playing. And, like, what happens, like, while they're playing in this, like, broken down area of, of, city, of the city. And, you know, just stuff like that. Like, just these glimpses into the great universe that's that's you just don't see in the movies because the movies are just focused so much on... Uh, you know, on action or God or whatever. Well, I want to so. say that this came out after just the first movie. I don't know that it Did came it? out uh, after the second. I could be wrong, but it may I, it may have been between two and three. I'm going to okay. look it up. Okay. Well, you you look it up while I talk for a second because this one, um, I I think it came out after the first one because it was just that first movie was so revolutionary and so amazing that. I, you're just ravenous for anything in that world. And, and so to have this available was really cool. Um, the art styles were incredible. But what I remember, and I have not watched this, I'll be honest, I have not watched this probably since it came out, even though I own it. Like, I, I loved it so much I bought it. Um, but I haven't revisited the DVD in a while. But when it came out, the computer graphics on one of the segments was the most lifelike I had seen human beings uh, created in computer graphics mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Um, I was blown away uh, at how how close to real uh, they were able to make it at that time period. Um, I'm sure now it will look dated, but it was just revolutionary at the time, and it was and it was totally unexpected. That was that was the other thing. Like it just it seemed to come out of nowhere, yeah. and then it was just like, wow, this is really really cool and really fresh. So it came out right after part two. Okay. Part two came out in March, and then oh wait, no, that was part one. Uh, it came out in May of '03. Part two did. Oh, okay. And then the Animatrix came out in June of '03. Really? Yeah, All right. So, so that, that must have been what it was. It wasn't the DVDs. It was, or maybe no, it wouldn't have been coming out. Part two wouldn't have come out. Maybe I was just so hyped up on seeing part two in <laughs> oh the my theater. Gosh. I was like, You're like, I gotta look see at this. those silvery twins. But yeah, you should totally, actually, I think that they are in one of those. There, there's nine shorts I saw on the thing. So okay. I, I think that those two are in one of the shorts, but uh, definitely check it out. I think like that is, that is one of my favorite 
you know, part three is what it is. Like, I, I think the whole the whole series is very good. But the Animatrix is just, it is so full of life and just very visually different. And the parts of that world that it brings to life, it's just very cool. So. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that one. You know, I was hesitant to to talk about this because this this part of the show we're talking about classic anthologies you you may have missed and i'm thinking you know vintage stuff and so animatrix to me isn't vintage but now you know it was i realize it's over 15 years ago so yeah it's (laughs) it's pretty old (laughs) just like us um so definitely take a take a peek at that if you haven't um moving on before we wrap up our show you know we got to talk about some new stuff and and just very briefly, I have a few recommendations for modern anthologies. Mm-hmm. You got to take a peek at. Um, first up, Trick or Treat. It's uh, it, it came out a few years ago, but it missed my radar when it first debuted, and only I've only seen it here recently. Um, but it's just it's a fun, scary uh, horror movie that uh, is lighthearted as well. Um, it's got a cute little character that ties it all together. And, um, I really won't say more than that. Just to seek it out if you can and, and check it out. It's really fun. I will say I saw someone online the other day ask if aliens came down and said, show me the one perfect horror movie, a, like a resounding amount of people said trick or treat. And I have personally never seen it. And so I was like, Oh, well, well I will loan you my Blu-ray. All right. It's really good. Um, next up. Uh, one that people probably already know about, and you're probably already watching on Netflix, but you, we can't leave this anthology show without talking about Black Mirror. And for me specifically, it's the episode from season three, San Junipero. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I think so. This is the episode uh, that takes place in the 80s arcade. Now, you'd think I like it just because of the 80s arcade, and that's probably what sucked me in. But the story itself is a beautiful story. It's a love story mm-hmm. um, with futuristic elements that takes a twist. And um, I love it. The soundtrack to that episode is amazing, too. I have it on vinyl. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so good. That specific episode? That, yes. You is. have the vinyl for that specific episode. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of really good music in that episode. That's and cool. So, um, and I, I will say Black Mirror, Black Mirror is a... Um, a show that most episodes when I watch it, like it feels like there's something wrong with my brain afterwards because most of those episodes, like the twist in it is so messed up. Like, Uh it's just like, Holy cow. Um, and I will say like, like having episodes like that. And there's a couple other ones in the, in the series that like, it's stuff that people that refuse to watch black mirror. I'm like, no, 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 watch this episode. You're you're really going to like it. And so, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, if you're going to jump into the series, that's one you can start off with. Um, the last one I want to recommend is a complete just left turn. It's also Netflix, but it's just not the format we're thinking about. We've been talking about animated series. We've been talking about horror series uh, and then futuristic stuff like, what is it, Love, Death, Robots? Is That's that's mm-hmm. another one. That's really good. Um, Black Mirror. But uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's a Coen Brothers movie on Netflix, and it's a Western Um it is incredible. The stories are funny and interesting and uh, heartfelt, some of them. And the cinematography is just incredible. Oh, my. I can't say enough good things about it. And it seems like it it just disappeared uh, from the, the conversation, you know, 
a week after it aired. So I hope that movie gets a little bit more notoriety. I hope a lot more people see it. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I want to thank you for listening to the show. Make sure you reach out to us at waybackattack at gmail.com. We'd love to respond to some emails uh, on future shows. We'd really, really appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, and leave us feedback on your preferred podcast app. That really goes a long way into making sure that uh, we can help grow and, and get out there some more. Uh, I would like to thank Mark Dowd for our logo and Dimitri Zabana for our theme song. My name is Preston Burt. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Squared Stiff. My name is Brian Grantham. You can find me at tw- on Twitter at B.E. Grantham. And you can always find the show at Wayback underscore Attack and WaybackAttackShow.com. Thanks for listening.